time to abandon ship. Can I persuade you to join us for a drink? It's a tradition. Here, here. Jaja, call me, my main man. Quickly, before the Separatists attack, get into the escape pod. Hey! This is escape? Then where the pod? Here's the Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod. I'm your host, Josh. We've got Blake waiting for us in the Escape Pod to chat all about The High Republic Into the Dark. It's the latest and third Star Wars novel in the High Republic lineup. It launched February 2nd this year and was written by Claudia Gray. Very cool novel introduces Padawan Wreath Silas being sent from a cosmopolitan galactic world of Coruscant to the undeveloped frontier. And so, lots of stuff to talk about with this novel. We're gonna we're gonna break it down for you guys. Spoiler alerts! So be aware if you haven't read it yet. Spoilers ahead. Another happy landing. All right, we have a very uh, interesting novel to chat about here, sir. <laughs> that we do. It's uh, the big release of Claudia Gray. I know you and I have both been looking forward to this one above the other two so far. So she did such a great job with Lost Stars. Just needed to see yes. what she was going to do in this new era. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interestingly enough, I mean, we, we were just looking at the uh, the rating system that UTE has going on, which is a well known. Star Wars uh, book reviewing and and uh, kind of dedicated site to to look up anything about any Star Wars book, and they've given Lost Stars the the number one of every any Star Wars book they've ever read, which is mm -hmm. which is quite the compliment. That's written by Claudia Gray. So this one I've always been kind of looking forward to because uh, you know it had a bit of an edgy vibe about the title and and it was a Claudia Gray novel and you know prominently featured was a was a pretty sweet looking Jedi with very similar hair to mine. So I was like, you know what? This is going to be a good story. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of my thoughts too going into it. Uh, yeah. I knew if it was going to be anywhere close to Lost Stars, we we're in for a, a good good story. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, or where do you want to start? Should we just, actually, let's, let's just uh, read through this, uh, the publisher summary and then and then we can maybe talk about some of the characters and, and then... Uh, Go through the story, but just a just a fair, fair warning to everyone who's listening at the very at the very moment. Uh, you know, spoilers ahead, uh, and uh, you know you've been warned. So if you have not read this book for yourself, you know our first recommendation is to obviously read the book for yourself. And and if you have no interest in reading it, hopefully we can convince you to read it. And and if not, then uh, we can at least fill you in on all the the cool stuff that happened in this in this latest chapter in the High Republic. So, published summary says Padawan Wreath Silas is being sent from the cosmopolitan galactic capital of Coruscant to the underdeveloped frontier, and he couldn't be less happy about it. He'd rather stay at the Jedi Temple studying the archives, but when the ship he's traveling on is knocked out of hyperspace in a galactic-wide disaster, Wreath finds himself at the center of the action. The Jedi and their traveling companions find refuge on what appears to be an abandoned space station, but when the strange things start happening, 
leading the Jedi to investigate the truth behind the mysterious station and a truth that could end in tragedy. So that's the that's the publisher's summary there. And and Reese Silas is I would I would probably call him the main the main character of this chapter book. Yep, I would say that. It's a young Padawan who's still getting to know the galaxy, so he's the best character for us to view the new era and Star Wars galaxy from his eyes and perspective. Same idea why we first saw Luke, right? He's kind of yep. the the farm boy who is getting to know everything so we can really see everything through his eyes. Right. Yeah, and and uh, Reith Silas is is honestly like out of all the books that I've read so far during the the High Republic series, um, this character I think has got to be one of my favorites because I I haven't really met any Jedi character so to speak that has not really been that adventure seeking. Kind yeah, that was character. so surprising because yeah. watching the shows and everything, every Padawan we come across, every Jedi, they're very adventure thirsty and they just throw themselves into combat, into whatever's going on, right into the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Because probably not only they seek adventure, but also because they're one of the few people who can actually handle to do something like that. And I think they get kind right. of a, a thirst for it. Becomes yeah. an addiction. And that's why this character I thought was actually so interesting because he would rather be just reading through old archives and holocrons. He he wants mm-hmm. to probably aspire to be the, the next librarian of, of the Jedi Temple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's what I really liked about him is that he he has this this eagerness to just learn in the in the archives and stuff and and uh I mean, in a way, you could kind of relate that to anyone who'd rather stay indoors and play video games and, you know, be, be, be on their own and, well, and not that. be outside but and people, adventurous. And- people love video games because they want adventure, but they're stuck in this mundane system that has already oh, been man. conquered. I, I don't know about you, but I like video games because I get to stay inside. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot less work than a real adventure. That's for sure. It is. Yeah, it, it's a lot. It's a lot less work than I'd rather be strolling through the virtual mountains and in, in, uh, in, in, in the Witcher or in the in the VR. Yeah. Than than I would uh, in our very own mountains here in Canada. But it's true. Uh, <laughs> Plus Cheetos and Mountain Dew. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you get unlimited snacks from the kitchen, from, you know, from the fridge, all that stuff. That's and, true. Yeah, yes, your uh, point. So, so you, yeah, Reese Re- Silas, a relatable character. But. Yep. Can definitely agree with that. I would say my, the character I went back and forth with, with the most I went in with very low expectations, thinking it was going to be quite awful, and then was quite surprised, I guess. I The character I'm alluding to is Geode, <laughs> where I we caught wind that there's a character in this novel who is just a rock, and mm-hmm. in the novel, he is just a rock, essentially. And yeah. I went in expecting that to be kind of like this really cheap uh, annoying tidbit of this of the story this mm-hmm. thing just keeps coming up and is annoying but claudia gray being the great writer that she is was able to take a character that's a rock and actually do something pretty fun and creative with it so it's more or less played to the reader through the entire book until the very end 
where you don't know if, if it is a real creature or just a rock. And he, it kind of plays everything both ways where whoever's interacting with Geode is reacting to Geode, assuming how he would react. So it leads you to believe, is are they just making it up? <laughs> or is this real? Right. And, and that's something you don't find out until like the, the end of yeah, the book. Yeah, where, like where, the last I mean, chapter. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's confirmed at the very end. Spoilers ahead, everybody. Uh, it, it's, it's confirmed at the very end that he's actually this sentient being that yeah. uh, uh, it's just it's just almost like... Uh, I think for the character of Reed Silas, as as the story goes on, as he's spending more time around this character, he constantly doubts his ability to sense the force in this what everyone believes to be this living being, yeah. which is essentially a rock. And and at the very end of the story, he kind of overcomes that milestone and or or that uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like the uh, you know. uh, I guess the overcomes the. I don't know, just preconceived his, conception of what a sentient yeah, creature is. Yeah, and he so, he sort of unlocks that perception in the force to sense the 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 uh, the life force in this rock yeah, that's like the, sent that making him sentient. Yeah, yeah, because at the beginning of the book, when he first meets Geode, he tries and he can't sense anything, and then right. at the end, the last chapter, he senses something. So yeah. I mean, maybe I, <laughs> maybe he learns, or maybe we f- we could find out that this new rock species can actually cloak their sentience. <laughs> yeah, well, something that I actually did like about because because I mean the, the the fact that they had a rock character through the through their book didn't didn't bother me that much. But uh, what I liked about Geode was that he, uh, they had all these funny little quips <laughs> as to like. You know, it, yeah. it, you know, it's like, oh, oh uh, this character, he walked into the room and, and said something to, to Geode. And then Geode's reply was uh, none other than uh, than Stone Cold or so, yeah. you know, something yeah, like was, that. That's, like, what that's what I was <laughs> alluding to with Claudia Gray yeah. being really creative with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> My totally. favorite is when right after they meet and um, the main character, like, turns around on the, the ship, the vessel, he just turns around and Geo's just there and he's just like yeah. really startled and he like doesn't know if someone like yeah, pranked yeah. him or not. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. It's like who would move this rock all the way like up and I, I imagine this geode character to be a like large a pretty rock. big rock. Yeah, like a like, like a, a rock maybe up to my uh my chest or something and just kind of an oval shape or something like that. Yeah. I but, bet you look kind of mountainy, but a rock's yeah, a rock. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um but I mean yeah and, and the fact that you never hear him move it's always no. just he's somewhere he's- else now and <laughs> <laughs> just silently levitates away right yeah yeah, yeah. that's uh, what i kind of i thought he was quite a comical character after yeah. a little while I actually um, i have a quick clip here we can play of the introduction of geode if you want to play it oh yeah yeah go for it all right and this year leox said with a grin is our ship's navigator geode Standing in one corner of the cockpit was a rock about as tall as and slightly wider than Wreath himself, dark gray with rounded edges and a flinty, flaky surface. Impressive, as rocks went, but still, it was just a rock, wasn't it? Wreath frowned, sure this was some kind of weird joke. He's a Ventian from Vint. 
Leox lazily wrapped an arm around the rock's shoulders, just like anyone would with a friend. Geo's a nickname, by the way. Turns out you can't pronounce his name correctly unless you don't have a mouth. Reef tried to parse that and failed. His main consolation was that Dez and Master Colmack looked as confused as he felt. So I think that's a good little introduction to Geode. Because that's a great, yeah, that's it, a great little clip. You learn in that clip exactly kind of how they like react to Geode mm-hmm. and how everyone who already knows him interacts with him. They kind of just answer everything for him like he answered it. So it's like you don't really know if they're playing a prank or not. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's a that's a great little clip. Thanks for saving that because that's uh, that's that's exactly how it's depicted as a character throughout most of the book until he finally reveals himself as a you know something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, so uh, next character, I guess, so uh, we can probably say something about is Comac uh, Vitus or Vitus, Jedi uh, Master. Yeah, the Jedi Master. He's he's like a like a scholar and a and a mystic and Yeah, um, he was a he actually had a really interesting story arc, which I appreciated. Hmm. He to anyone who's ever played the Kotor two games. Man, the right no, the first Kotor game. And you come across the Jedi Master on Kashyyyk. I'm blanking on his name, but he's more or less described as a gray Jedi where he doesn't believe in being fully light and he doesn't believe in being fully dark. And he thinks that it should be a balance. And Master Comox, through his story arc, slowly moves into the position of the Jedi Master from KOTOR. Yeah, so uh, is, he's the one that they kind of refer to as a as a way seeker, right? Which is, um, am I getting that right? I think that's the, the woman. Oh, that, that's the woman. Okay, so oh, okay, so this book is a good example of how many characters are are like that, I guess, right? Uh, just a little more Orla, that uh, her name, loose with yeah, Orla. There was a uh, well, yeah, Orla was um, yeah, the uh, the Umbaran, uh female, the one with the the crazy lightsaber. Yeah, that's uh, the one who I thought was yeah, the way yeah, seeker. She, yeah, she's a she's a way seeker. Yeah, but I guess I guess Comac could be described as as perhaps somebody who is also I guess in that in, because I mean a way seeker is is the canon ish term for uh for uh, essentially what a great Jedi is okay. in a way like someone who isn't all about following the Jedi council's orders to the letter right uh they're they're more kind of a, a bit of a rebellious kind nature. of qui-gon-y yeah qui-gon i think would would have been considered a way seeker in a way except except he did he did still have some some strong ties with the council but he didn't always do what they what they wanted right, right? but and he's so, he was maybe a, a way seeker in the wrong era <laughs> yeah he could have been yeah exactly and and i think if you were to take two steps further uh, uh, for for any yeah. anything like I mean because he doesn't go out of his way to just train Anakin like he says I can't train you the council hasn't hasn't permitted me to train it but you can watch me mm-hmm. right so so like he still kind of bends the branch but not snapping it you know kind yeah, of thing like yeah, which is so, the, like the line as yeah. far as you can go and yeah, we should yeah. clarify if anyone listening 
is recognizing the word wayseeker but can't quite figure out why yeah you might be getting confused with the term wayfinder which was a MacGuffin that was used in uh, Rise of Skywalker. JJ Abrams. Yeah. JJ so, Abrams, everybody. Two different, it's a holocron. Yeah. It's basically a holocron, but it's a, like a, a map guiding holocron. So there's, yeah. they sound very similar, but they're different things. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Komek was a wise Jedi master. He loved ancient history stuff. Um, you know, very, uh, very calm guy. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much. Uh, pretty much his thing but yeah he was he was definitely troubled by by this light and dark side of the force split i guess yeah um and uh yeah he he um well he on on in the end profile in the end he described it as by cutting the force in half between light side and dark side you actually make the dark side more powerful yeah, because because there was something on on his uh, something that I actually have down here is that part of his belief was that the Jedi Order part of their part of the Jedi Order's uh, belief is to refuse to examine the darkness, right? Yeah. But but he thought that the refusal to examine the darkness could potentially just make it stronger. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, in which case his theory, in a way is somewhat up the right alley and i don't necessarily think he's a jedi that wants to like use the dark powers of the dark side of the force kind of thing i think i think it kind of goes into a bit of a conversation that we had um in the a test of courage novel Mm -hmm. uh, when we were talking about the balance of the force in that one and how how it's not always like a physical uh power that that they want to possess but but more like a lot of these jedi just don't acknowledge that it's a threat right like they're, they're kind of ignorant towards it right um and they're and, all and afraid just, of it and avoid it at all costs yeah 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 exactly so so uh and and one of the clone wars arcs with yoda and stuff he he has to acknowledge that the dark side is in everybody and that it's it's the balance is a matter of of pushing it away rather than trying to stay above it and all the time right yeah um, that's what so we i mean. think comac <laughs> we meet the yeah, gremlin Comac's, version of, of yoda in that, in that right arc. <laughs> yeah 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 the gremlin version of yoda yeah yeah so comac is kind of the, that in that position where he's like hey like as jedi we should be acknowledging that the darkness exists and really studying as to why it's a threat mm-hmm. and, rather than just ignoring that that you know like we should try and yeah um, and he, study he, this he's not this wrong form. but at the same time i also understand that there's probably a number of jedi or people like people in the star wars galaxy who when they try to do that they might also fall victim to the lure of its power if they start looking yeah. at it so it's kind of a double-edged sword right uh, we should talk about orla next because we already brought her up so she's she's the the way the way uh, seeker yeah. that we were talking about, and um, she has a double bladed lightsaber. Yes, and the design of the lightsaber, as it's described, uh, is is sounds as if it's the same design as as Dark Ray's lightsaber or General Pong Krell from the Clone Wars, where the, oh, the hilt bend. folds up. The Nutcracker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, the Nutcracker saber. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and by the way, all these characters, I believe, at least most of them have one of those 
artwork profile images from from starwars.com like it's where they've done the sketch and everything of the character and have the name right. okay. plate beneath them yeah so anyone listening if you want to know anything more about these characters and just look them up yeah buy the and, action uh, figure can... now before they get casted into <laughs> movies and you can't get the originals <laughs> <laughs> none of these have yeah. action figures <laughs> he's joking with you yes uh, <laughs> But yeah, um, Orla, so she's an Umbaran and um, she she has a pretty strong connection with the Force and uh, has the ability to sense energies of the dark side pretty well. And I think that's part of the Wayseeker um, thing. Yeah, yeah, she, she yeah, that's possibly a, a trait that kind of comes with her, her focus of the studies, you know, while, while kind of... Uh, learning things as she's meditated as a, as a way seeker over the years. Um, and uh, what else? Oh, that's pretty much it. I mean, yeah, how did she, she like, well, has had the least depth of the main yeah. cast by, yeah. uh, by large margin. I would say she wasn't right. nearly as interesting. Um, she didn't really do much to be honest. Like she, I think they were just setting up her character and she might play right. a more prominent role later, but. I could see that. She was mostly there just to kick butt with her lightsaber, but she didn't actually really do much story-wise. Kick butt, look awesome. That's it. That's right. (laughs) It's an important job. Des Ryden, uh, that's another character we should talk about. He's uh, he's the old apprentice of Wreath Silas's current Jedi Master, yeah. which is Jorah Mali. And Jorah Mali is the one of those Jedi Masters that we saw perish in the Light of the Jedi novel. And that's something that Wreath has to kind of get around and navigate as his story is in this book. But uh, yeah, his his Jedi Master died in, in the, the first book that we read. So um, Jorah, Jorah's first apprentice was Des Ryden. And, and how would you describe Des Ryden. He is the exact opposite of Wreath. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. He uh, just craves adventure over everything else and he loves flying by the seat of his pants and improvisation. And, Energetic. Yeah, and it's really funny because maybe I'm speaking to this too soon, but as Wreath progressed through the novel, he learned that he needs to be more of an adventurous type. And that's why he decides to go to uh, Starlight Beacon. But Des Ryden, who was originally supposed to go to Starlight Beacon and was craving the adventure of it, realized that he shouldn't just be following his own uh, desires and decides to yeah. actually join, uh, I forget your- He takes, your he takes the, bar- the Barash vow. Yeah. yeah. Which basically from what it was described as in the book was he becomes a monk which won't have yeah. any adventure. So right. they've basically reversed, like switched spots. Yeah, they've switched roles where it's like Des being the adventure craving Jedi has to kind of reserve himself more and then and then Wreath learns how to be more outwardly. But uh, Des, uh, the, the Barash Vow, which, which I'm very quickly going to mention, was, uh, I forget when it first showed up, but the first time that I read about it was in the Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith comics. And I think that's the only other mention of it so far in the canon. But uh, there was a Jedi that survived the purge because he was on the Barash vow, and Vader had to hunt him down and kill him. And and the uh, crystal in Vader's lightsaber is actually from this Jedi oh, that he had to fight 
yeah, and and claim his weapon. And uh, yeah, the Brash Vow is basically a Jedi who decides to no longer serve the Order uh, in a non-permanent way until they kind of find their way within the Force, and then they'll resume their service to the Jedi. But it's a bit like a um, a bit like a hibernation status for okay. any Jedi who just really need to get away from it all, and you know, because like it, it, I guess a hiatus would be the best way I could call yeah. it. It's like a Jedi version of a hiatus, you know but it, for a year. Yeah, you know what thing, it kind of sounds like is mm-hmm. uh, rehab. You know, like if someone yeah. goes on like a really bad bender or whatever and they're forced to go into rehab, that's kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally, totally. <laughs> Get out of society so, and like live in like a, a, a pre-created, uh, self-contained society yeah. or isolation chamber. <laughs> I think if uh, if the term had been invented uh, in the days when the Clone Wars was still coming out, I think it's safe to say that Ahsoka would have been branded as someone who took the Barash vow okay. um, at the end of the Clone Wars. But that term hadn't actually been invented up until the Dark Lord of the Sith comic books, which was years after Clone Wars was canceled. Uh, that that came out. So so, but yeah. Looking back at the definition of Brashvel, I think it's something that I would consider her to be in in the final season of the Clone Wars because uh, in that hologram meeting that she's having with Mace Windu and Yoda on on Mandalore, they ask her again uh, for the second time after she first denies, you know, coming back to the Order in season five. Uh, she denies them that uh, she's doing it as a Jedi and insists that she's doing this work to help the Jedi as a citizen yeah. instead of, a, of instead of a Jedi, right? So to them, they're like, "Oh well, well, Mace at least is a bit bitter about that, but Yoda uh, is a little more accepting of it, and and mm-hmm. I think he just thinks of it as okay. She's just she just needs to need some space, yeah. you know. Um, um, but yeah, that's basically what a brash vow is. And speaking of of Yoda. Uh, I don't think it was this book. I think it was the last one, but maybe it was this one. But there was a Yoda name drop in one of these books. He's been name dropped, I think, in Light of the Jedi and in this book. And I forget whether or not he was name dropped in the Attest of Courage novel, but he was a uh, prominent character in the High Republic uh, VR experience in the Tales from a Galaxy's Edge, the the bonus mission. Right. So he's definitely so he's, he's, is around in this area. Oh yeah, he's he's definitely around. And then not to mention he's been a prominent character in the Star Wars Adventures comic series by IDW. Who and uh, so he is kind of a he's a thing. Uh and but I think a lot of the the use of that character has so far gone very underused and I, I don't know if whether or not they're saving it for later or just playing with this character very safely oh, but they're definitely as it, saving it because they want to build up this whole era first and just latch on to pre-created characters yeah yeah totally so for anyone who wants more of yoda in the higher public <laughs> uh the idw comics are going to be the the place to to see him in as well as the vr game uh tales from a galaxy's edge so so that's worth mentioning maybe this is a bit bitter or a bit shrewd to say but they can't just introduce him and then kill him off to have the, everyone like the new characters right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he at least has to make it to phantom Menace. that's right <laughs> so that covers uh dez comac 
and Orla and Wreath and Geode. We have yeah. two more characters to, yeah. talk, to talk about. So as, there's as a, anyone listening can already see, there's a lot of characters in this book. Oh yeah, there there is a lot of characters. It's a bit overwhelming actually, but but it kind of like Light of the Jedi. I think that came up as well, but um, we'll get into that in just a bit. So aside from Geode, uh, there's a ship that is a primary source of transportation in this novel for our main characters called the Vessel. Yeah, and uh, Geode is one of the crew members on this ship. But the other two main crew members are Afi Hollow and uh, Leox uh, Genasi. Am I pronouncing it? Or Genasi? Um, so I guess we can start uh, I, They by... just call him Leox. They call him Leox for the whole book. So. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I don't all right the last let's, name. <laughs> let's start off talking about Leox because there's a little less to yeah. talk about there. So they're all a part of the, the Bind Guild, which yeah. is. Um, How would you describe the Bind Guild? Like a. Uh, it's um, kind of like a trade federation sort of company and not as nearly as big as the trade federation, but yeah. I think like they, a small scale version of that. It's like they, they transport yeah, stuff. It's like, like a transport company. Maybe like yeah. think of it as maybe Greyhound, something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But not necessarily specifically for passengers, but for, uh, for cargo and whatever, yeah, whatever, whatever they can get. Done. Yeah. Yeah. So Leox is the captain of the vessel. And uh, he's uh, like a, yeah, I don't know, middle-aged guy, kind of, kind of scruffy yeah. and fairly laid back, and you, you know, pretty chill. Did you listen to the audiobook or did you read this? <laughs> no, I read it. I read it. Okay, because yeah. in the audiobook, actually, it was him that was speaking in that quote I played. He sounds like uh, kind of your typical California surfer is the voice they give him, <laughs> except right. he yeah. sounds like he's. In his mid thirties, who's a little burnt out, but he's still living the hippie <laughs> lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and, and it really added to the character for me. So, uh, props to um, I should probably look up the guy who actually did the voices because it wasn't the regular guy. This was it was actually voiced by a different narrator. Oh, interesting. Which I was very surprised by. So it wasn't Mark. Uh, what's his face from that normally does it? No, it was a different guy. Of course, as soon as you want to look at your menu, it doesn't say anything. Um, but I was quite pleasantly surprised by it because you know there's been this the one guy Mark who's been narrating every single Star Wars book up till now, even in the '90s, and so having a new person step in, I was a little bit concerned about it. Uh, but he grew on me, and I think the reason why he actually uh, did the job was Mark was probably reading one of the other books that came out at the exact same time. <laughs> so, so Leox is basically a 1990s version of Matthew McConaughey with a with a spaceship. Yeah, that's for, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, and uh, I got his name here is. Dan Bittner, and he did a fantastic job. Now that you've described it as Matthew McConaughey, like that's that's what he was going for, and it really added <laughs> a lot to the character. So I'm very yeah. uh, very glad I got to listen to that. It was a lot of fun. I I quite liked this character actually. He was he was an enjoyable character to just to read, uh, and I'm sure he was an enjoyable character to listen to on the pres on the on the audio as well. Yeah, he was probably my and, maybe I shouldn't say favorite character, but as far as his personality and uh, his quips and whatnot, I would say he was a character I was drawn to probably the most. So right. it was really interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I thought of you when I first started reading Scare. I'm like, oh, this is going to be Tanner's favorite. Yeah, it was or so the, good. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, I always liked so, uh, the scummy guys or like the, the burnt out people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the laid back ones, yeah. right? Uh, Affie Hollow is the final character. She's a uh, she's also she's Leox's um, uh, co-pilot on on the vessel and and operates with the mind, the Bind Guild as well. And uh, <laughs> she was the adopted daughter of the leader of the Bind Guild, and uh, she she helped uh, transport the main characters through the story to uh, to um, uh, well through the yeah they were the going, events of the story. They're going to the outer rim, and then they en- yeah. ended up. Uh, in the middle of the catastrophe that's in all the books. Yeah. And there's really not much about her character that was super notable other than that she has her own arc. Yeah. Her backstory was the interesting part for her, for sure. Yeah. Her her backstory was more interesting than her actual story through the novel. And, And it was only the very end of the book that I was more or less interested in her character, whereas her uh her uh i'm gonna skip skip over the details for for now but but just her journey through the novel just wasn't the most interesting to me and anytime that she was on her own doing her own thing and stuff i was like uh, okay come on come on right i didn't (laughs) mind uh, it just because i actually really enjoyed her backstory and i thought the predicament she was in was really interesting that's fair. That's and, fair. Yeah. And I know this is probably I guess very I'm just confusing a- to anyone listening right now, but it'll make sense when Josh is ready to talk about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's just, I don't know. For me, I was just like, I, I really liked uh, Reed Silas quite a bit. So anytime it kind of went away from that character, I was like, all right, let's get back to the, to the main right. thing. But anyways. Um, I mean, I felt so- that way too, but in regards to that side story with the kidnapped people. Yeah. Uh, right. 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 Yeah. That was another thing. So uh, through the events of this book, there's uh, there's flashbacks. Oh, they're that flashbacks. Happen. And uh, they're yeah, they're flashbacks. I'm so confused. Of, I had no idea what was going on every time I went back to that. It was yeah, kind of, so I'm just like, what is happening? <laughs> it was about six or six or seven interludes that have been sprinkled through the book, and they're all very short. And it was the story of two Jedi, one of them being uh, it was 25 years past and uh, and the events took place. I think it was I forget the name of the of the Jedi. And then uh, I think the other one was uh, was it Kovac or was it somebody else? Yeah. Um, Comox. Yeah, I think it was um, it was Kovacs and uh, Masters or Master was it Master Simix? There was another guy who was uh Kovacs's master in one of them. Yeah, Simix, yeah. Uh Simix and Right, uh Simix and and Comac. Yeah. So so 25 years ago from this story, Simic Simix was Comax's Jedi master and they have this minor adventure that that they go off to basically rescue some kidnapped monarchs on a planet somewhere and literally the only point of this story at least to me in the context of reading the book was to give context to the very final chapter where they have the uh the launch of the starlight beacon and there's uh, one of the queens that uh shows up to uh present at the presentation tells the story of how she was once rescued by the Jedi and has chosen to join the Republic 
because of those events that happened 25 years ago. Right. So so these tiny little interludes are just kind of a pre-existing context for that character that later shows up uh, and goes, okay. we're here at the Starlight Beacon to celebrate the expansiveness of the Republic into our territory and beyond. And the reason why we're joining and have been for a little while, I guess now, is because, and, you know, that was uh, because she was and saved. That's what ties and, together. And that. That's uh, what ties together. Okay. Yeah. Honestly, that whole thing just confused me to no end. And I had no idea what was going on. It's a little so. harder when I get, yeah. And, and that's like, I think that's where some of the, uh, the advantage to seeing the text comes in because you actually see like the 25 year before. Oh yeah. That didn't thing. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, maybe I just missed it, but, um, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know think if they it read said that. that. So uh, it, was yeah. on, it was just a new chapter. So I thought this was happening at the same time and maybe they were on the station and they were going to be uh, rescued. Okay. And so I'm just so confused. <laughs> And so, yeah. Uh, okay. Maybe it was an audiobook thing. Yeah. So that was, that was, that was anyone. pretty much it. Yeah. So just a fair warning there. If you listen, uh, that's, that's the context of those little, little random pieces and bits. Um, okay. So let's, let's get into the actual story now. Um, the, yeah. do you want to, you want to, do you want to just take a, take a couple minutes, just like kind of recap general sense of the plot, like where the characters are going, why just the intro uh yeah i mean just you know like a two minute kind of why they're going to the they're going they're going to the frontier we can start with that um the the, the jedi that we talked about the four mm-hmm. jedi they're all going to the the frontier and and uh then of course the great disaster happens and uh, <laughs> You're already like, doing an, it. like uh, there you go yeah so you can you keep going <laughs> yeah okay i guess it kind of opens on wreath uh and he is uh dealing with his jedi his master and she thinks that he has been spending too much time in uh the jedi archives and thinks that he needs more adventures so she actually signs up both of them against what wreath would prefer she signs them up to go to starlight beacon and start helping out there uh and they go to uh, a cantina, classic intro to Star Wars book, and that's where we meet most, if not all, of the other cast. And from there, they get on the, the vessel, and they take off into hyperspace when the event happens, and there's debris everywhere, and everyone's forced to jump out of hyperspace. And I thought that was a really actually cool uh, like part of the novel, and this... Mm-hmm ties with the other novels as well where it really feels like this one event is happening across multiple regions yeah it's like we keep it, kind of affecting the whole galaxy because yeah. now this is the third novel that's overlapped the same time slot time yeah time slot yeah weeks weeks before the the starlight beacon launches and uh you know hi- the great disaster happens hyperspace is going red yeah in you know uh <laughs> to signify something's going wrong i i don't really yeah. know why it's got to be red but right and i like that a lot because it really it shows that it affects everyone and there's yeah. there's thousands of stories that all came out of this one thing just like the real world which i really like right yeah um so they're forced out of hyperspace and they're they they realize they're in the middle of space and there's nothing for light years around them <laughs> Uh, but there's, there's a number of other ships that also happen to 
like fall out of hyperspace in the exact same spot, which to me was probably the most interesting part because if they're in the middle of nowhere, how did all these ships happen to be in the same spot? Anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, they decide to increase their scanners to max range and they happen to find the space station. Yeah, the and Maxine a, yeah a, a Maxine station, yeah. right. So, but it's been abandoned. This abandoned this, station. Just a side note, this a Maxine station had popped up in last year's The Rise of Kylo Ren comic by Charles Soule. And it was used during the days of the First Order as uh, Snoke's hideout place uh, before Ben turned to the dark side. So if you want to see a visual reference as to what the station looks like, you can read the Rise of Kylo Ren, and you'll you'll see exactly what what the Amaxine Station was was kind of like, which is described now in this book as well. I think it was described kind of as a donut shape. It's like a it's yeah. So the, the, well, there's like rings around it, but then in the center is this hexagonal transparent glass ball, which is like this. Uh, this is the core, I guess, which yeah, is where they have this greenhouse. giant like greenhouse thing. Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, keep going. So uh, they realize that the sun in the system is about to have some solar flares. So if they stay in their ships, they're all going to get fried. So they decide they're all going to dock to this abandoned space station uh, along and they put out the broadcast to everyone, everyone else in the area and all their ships. So they all, they all dock and they're going to uh, all put all of their supplies together and try to survive. Uh, but unfortunately the Jedi's plan falls apart a bit because everyone out here in the outer rim is used to doing their own thing and they're all more or less raiders and don't really follow laws so most of the people just start looting the space station <laughs> and they're all forced to round them up and try to make everything work and one of the characters that we meet is i'm blanking on her name but it says man and a young girl and is her and an old man who were out in space by themselves, which was so odd Big, and yeah. peculiar. Uh, and what happens on the station is Nan actually gets kidnapped by one of the raiders in their group. And they're planning to to sell her into slavery on the market. And Reith is forced to confront the raider and actually cuts off his arm to save Nan, which... Uh, then goes into a whole another story arc, which I'm not sure if we want to get into just yet. Uh, yeah, we can. Well, no, yeah, we can save that. Yeah. So the thing that I actually found most interesting or most annoying is because we already knew that the Dren gear or these these plant species were going to show up at some point. I mm -hmm. was waiting for so long for them to show up. <laughs> yeah, it was it was I reached the 50% on the on the ebook and uh and I was like, man, like the I thought the main villain was supposed to be this Drengear and they hadn't showed up yet, yeah, right? Yeah, it's exactly uh, it. They didn't show up until like, oh, it was like 70 maybe even 80%. It was thing. very it was, far in and Yeah. As soon as we found the Maxine station and I knew that these Drengear, these plant creatures, these carnivorous plants were going to show up because they'd kind of been revealed beforehand. And I had expected on this station to get a very spooky, like they're all around you, but you can't find them sort of storyline. I want, I thought it was going to be very much like a Death Troopers 
kind of adventure. Mm-hmm. And it was not, unfortunately, which made me really sad because I thought that would be really cool to have like a horror kind of yeah, story. Yeah, that's what I was. Yeah, that's place, what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, too. take place on this abandoned station. Like it's, it's the perfect setup for it, and it's, yeah. it's always so much fun. And they didn't do it. That really bothered me a lot. So to me, yeah. that's probably my biggest gripe. Um, that's the same for me. Exact same for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the reason why I brought this up now is because the rest of the story starts going towards the Drenger. So what happens is the Jedi, while uh, they're all figuring out what to do with the supplies and they're hunting down all the looters, um, the two Jedi masters, Orla and uh, Kovacs, they sense that on the station there's a great darkness. And they can't figure out if it's the station itself or if there's something on it. And they spend a decent amount of time trying to track it down. And they come across these huge statues of different races and they, they, they're all, uh, kind of, kind of Royal like statues, people, uh, of, uh, they look, they look pretty fancy. Yeah. yeah. And they think that it must be coming. The darkness might, must be coming from these statues. So they decide to load the statues onto their ship and take it back to the Jedi Council, to the temple, so that they can you know, like inspect it and try to r- remove the darkness that's been imbued inside of it. So once everything, uh, the event passes and everyone's set free, they go back. I'm um, skipping over an important part. Oh, th- this ties in with, with in the light of the Jedi novel when the Chancellor reopens hyperspace lanes again once they figure out that yeah. it's safe again and realize that it's actually the, the Nihil that, that have been making attacks and stuff like that Mm -hmm. that's yeah that's at this point in the book now where they they reopened the lanes and now everyone's able to leave the amaxine station so they pack up these these things to to take back to coruscant again that's right but unfortunately they're down one jedi (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah uh reef after he rescues nan him and orla they I'm trying to remember the exact context to how they end up well, finding the, well, like the core. Des and Des and Reith are exp- exploring a, a part of the station, and then Des ends up being trapped behind a, a door that closes on him, and then something happens behind that door, and he's just gone. Yeah, he just vanishes. And so yeah, and so they just assume that he's died. Yeah. Well, what happens is there's they get to the core, like the energy room of the of the station, and there's. I guess I'd picture them as kind of like almost like lightning bolts or like like a Tesla sort of machine of like lightning going everywhere. And they think that he mm-hmm. just gets vaporized. Yeah. Yeah. Because they can't feel his presence on the station anymore. Yeah. They're just really just in an instant. He's just gone. They can't figure it out. So they just accept that he died and they all kind of like. They'll, they just go they, back yeah, to they, just, they don't know what to do, so they just decide they're going to leave the station and yeah. tell the council what happened and bring back these statues. And so they do that, and yeah, he, he's put up for dead. They just accept that. Jedi Council writes it down, and they go on to these statues, and they try to take the darkness out, but they realize that there's no darkness in them. Well, there's one really interesting part about this moment where they're – tinkering with these statues because uh, there's something within the canon that that was first invented during the clone wars which never got 
produced into an episode. It would have been in a uh, one of the Ahsoka arcs that never got made. But the concept of having a Sith temple or a Sith shrine or whatever beneath the Jedi temple uh, was manufactured by by Dave Filoni during the Clone Wars. And then that concept made its way into the canon from the Tarkin novel and then kept going. And now it's been rolled out as a as a piece of context in a few few different Star Wars stories here and there. And this was the next kind of context that they brought in because the Jedi are aware of the fact that there's this uh, almost like this uh, 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 a virgins in the force, like emanating beneath the Jedi temple, which is dark side energy. And so over the thousands of years or whatever it's been, the Jedi temple has actually been built on top of this, this dark uh, place on Coruscant. And they actually store some uh, Sith relics and stuff down there and kind of keep it buried. So almost like a exorcist kind of thing, they bring the statues that they took from the Maxine Temple yeah. down to that room to then kind of purify them with the force. Yeah. But then they realize... These aren't the first that, things that they've done that to either. This is right. just what they yeah. do in general. It's not a practice. If they find something in the dark side, they'll bring it to the basement of the Jedi temple where this old Sith temple was. And that's where they'll try to cleanse it. Yeah. And, and then that's, that's where they realize that the dark side is actually not emanating from those statues, but rather the statues were, were preventing the dark side from going from escaping, uh, from escaping on the Maxine station. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. And master Kovacs, he comes to that revelation. He goes to the council and says they need to go back and place these things back and the statues back. And the council says, no, we have more pressing matters. <laughs> and they don't want him to go. And Wreath, yeah. he finds out that his his master died in the final battle uh, fighting the, the Nihil, which was in the other book. Yeah, the Light of the Jedi. So he's now a, a Padawan with no master. Mm-hmm. Which I found very interesting because that's now two books with Padawans that lose their masters and have the same <laughs> ending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and creativity. Right. right. But uh, Reese, I, I like mm-hmm. I like how he sees the designs on the holograms of the Nihil ships. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and oh, he yeah, and right. he realizes he realizes that that the design of the ship is actually the same design of the Nan and, and uh, Haig's ship that he befriended on the station when he was there. Nan was being the girl that he saved from the, some of the, uh, the pirates or whatever that made their way on board the station. The slavers. And he realizes that they must have been uh, Nihil as well, but yeah. just not revealing to them that they mm-hmm. were. And he's like, oh, crap, I just told Nan all these things about the Jedi and the Republic and stuff. And that gave the Nihil some information inside information as to, uh, you know, how we operate and stuff like that and what we're, what we do. Uh, Mm -hmm. So he feels really guilty about that. And then he, that's when he brings it up. He's like, Hey, yo, we got to go back to the station because uh, we got to take these guys, you know, and, and arrest them kind of thing. Cause now they know something that they shouldn't. So that's, that's, I really like that moment. It was a cool twist. Yeah, Mr. Warrior realizes that being a friendly, open person isn't always the best idea. Yeah. So he he hopes that by going back to um, the Maxine station, that Nan will still be there and he can right the wrong that he did and stop the Nihil from getting the information about the Jedi. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, so they uh, they go back to the station, and uh, that's when they, they run they into a bit of a against, problem. They go against the Jedi orders. The Jedi yeah, they re, orders. they rehire Leox and uh, and Affy to and, and Geode and the vessel to 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 take them back to the station. But they run into the issue of of the Nihil being uh, they have like a big massive ship. Yeah, now they get a capital ship there now orbiting the station yeah so they're like okay we gotta sneak in yeah and that was kind of funny because they realized that the the nihil don't have good sensors so what they do is they just stay the exact opposite side of the space station and just kind of counter orbit so they can't see them <laughs> just like hide yeah so I got a lot of new hope vibes from the fact that our characters in the story have have a narrative of having to sneak onto this this space station and and uh, yeah, it was, it was well done. I kind of got uh, almost um, uh, two thousand one space odyssey, but it's heist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. This is this is where it kind of got got weird though, because. Um, you know, Mind I, you, I, it, we're this far into the book we've described, and we still haven't seen the drink here. yeah so <laughs> to quickly kind of summarize the rest because a lot of it's kind of actiony after this they get aboard the station they they get the statue set up in place again they do some crazy stuff with the force they bring up the seal again which uh wait i'm, I'm kind of skipping over something mm-hmm. they, they they uh so in their absence i guess uh the uh what is it the drengear have like already come to life well, it's At interesting because the first time we meet the Drengear is actually when Wraith, he tries to find Nan and he ends up going back down into the tunnel and he falls himself. He falls himself in, and he, what exactly what happened to, uh, the other, to, Dez. to Dez, thank you, happens to him. So he realizes that what happened to Dez and what happened to himself is that he fell into a pod, which actually has a hyperspace, hyperspace engine attached to it and it actually launches him to another planet. Mm-hmm. So he inadvertently gets sent to another system in the galaxy. I thought that kind of was kind of cool because this is the first kind of, I mean, the fact that this Amaxian station is ancient technology from a civilization that just doesn't exist anymore. But I, I like the idea that there's a station that has all these not escape pods, but like hyperspace pods yeah. where you get into this thing and it's just like, boom, like you're on another planet yeah, and it, it was, just basically shot you like a rocket. It is efficient somewhere else. Uh, and I'm glad they expanded on it a bit because the first thing I thought of is how is this possible? Hyperspace yeah. engines are huge. And then I was thinking to like the Jedi starfighters from episode two and they have to have an entire others engine system to launch their to get to hyperspace to their starfighters to get across space so how are they going to fit that into this little coffin yeah but then it is explained thank you claudia gray for trying to stick to the canon with this attached to the coffin is just a giant engine (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and these are i guess they're they're, they must be big enough to hold a few people because some of the dren gear actually yeah, yeah I think ahead of it, like, I think it's make their way elevator sized, roughly. Yeah, it must be. It must be like elevator size. Yeah, just like a little escape pod size thing, but then with a giant thing on the back, I guess yeah. that propels it. You know, through through hyperspace. But the implications of what this was created for, I thought was super interesting. Yeah. Do you want to get into that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So we find out uh, actually almost immediately after this scene because Des lands lands on the planet. 
and he is immediately confronted by the Drengear, which are carnivorous plants. Uh, you can kind of think of them as Groot, but they are bloodthirsty and want to eat anything that's a humanoid. Yeah, and made of vines and stuff like that. Yeah, so they're kind of Grooty, and then they can like expand into roots and stuff. But they're venomous. Is one thing. I'll yeah, and just to kind of interject to this description of the Drengear, I really didn't like it. I was like, I was. <laughs> it's weird. I don't, I don't, I don't know weird. about you. Uh, yeah, because I pictured them as like plant people. Yeah, you know, uh, and whereas the first visual description that I had of the Drengear was if you actually look up Drengear, it's spelled D-R-E-N-G-I-R. There's a Wikipedia page where you can see a visual description of what these Drengear look like from a short story that was done for the um, the the book that came out. It was like a it was a year ago or so. One of the uh, the the myths and fables book, except I think it, it was either that one or or one of the other ones. Uh, but uh, there's a there's a picture of them and they're like these big huge monster things, and uh, and then there also is an official High Republic concept art that they launched for the Drengear, which is also it's just like this green beast with all these like tentacles coming off of it and yeah. everything and this like yeah and I was like oh those things must be huge like they must be like nine feet ten feet tall maybe and just like big things like but, a tree. Yeah, yeah, but and and they were also uh, indirectly also mentioned in the Rise of Kylo Ren comic, but it was it was um, a very strange uh, strange thing when I came across them in the book. I was like, oh, the way that they're being written, it just didn't sound like they're that scary, and and they talk. They do which talk. Which was the the stupidest thing. I think like I I really didn't like that. I didn't like that they could talk because like well, I thought that it was going to be. Well, yeah. I, I mean, like really I thought that it was. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought they were just going to be like these monsters, right? Like yeah. just these like you know plant based monster things that are created on dark side energy that just like eat th- anything, right? Like I thought that was the. Uh, uh, that was what it was going to be. And, and, you know, maybe like a, like a death trooper style zombie. It's like, you can't communicate or talk to them, but they mm-hmm. just have no, you know, sense of whatever. They just go after you kind of thing. Right. And I thought that's what this was going to be, but it ended up not being that way. They were actually like, they're like a civilization of, of sentient beings that yeah. just want to eat people. And they actually they also want, tell they you want that. to conquer everything <laughs> is what they want to yeah. do. What's funny is they yeah. want to conquer, but they don't have space travel. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. It, how well it, it's gonna it, work. it was as if poison Ivy made an army worth of plant people that tried to take over the galaxy or something like that. You know, poison Ivy from Batman. Yeah. Is what with, I'm talking with about. No it was technology. like, you reminded me of that. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's funny because especially looking at them, it feels like something from the old EU. But one of the things that you would throw out when you got rid of the non-canon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. <laughs> uh, that being said, the very first image that shows up on, uh, like Wikipedia, that looks more like a painted artwork. That Drengear looks really kick ass. I think that looks yeah, awesome. It's pretty sweet. And they they also uh have shown up in the comics now as well. Okay. Yeah. And uh I think they're gonna start showing up all over. And I don't know if yeah. I'm gonna like that a lot. They seem like a side villain, you know what I mean? Which they might be because yeah. I feel like the Nihil are gonna be the main 
enemy yeah. of this era. Yeah, and then sure. they're probably going to be something else that just shows up. So a good way to think of it, actually, is when you play the Halo games, you're fighting the Covenant, but then the Flood just shows up. So the Drain Gear right. are the equivalent to the Flood. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it for sure. Um, and I do like the visual artworks of them. Like they look really scary looking. Yeah. It's just the, the fact that they can talk really kind of took away from their level of viciousness. So we were, you thought it'd be more like alien? Yeah, I thought it would be more like alien where it's like there's these monstrous beings made of plants and they just they're just creatures. Like yeah. they just go after you and just eat anything or mm-hmm. you know consume whatever they can find as far as meat goes and living beings and stuff yeah, and, and that's uh, probably what I would have expected originally as well, honestly. Yeah, kind of kind of like I pictured like a really big monstrous ugly fly trap with like tentacles and more other stuff for that you know, it's a plant, it doesn't talk, but it 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 does its thing, right? And that's what I thought these things were going to be but when they started talking i was like oh it just kind of took away from the level mm-hmm. of viciousness a little bit but hmm. anyway i don't want to like linger on I it but it, yeah. um that, that was one of the things that kind of kind of um no, that's fair I was a little tilted after that that's fair <laughs> but uh what's funny is what you were just mentioning or like how you thought they would be created by the dark side or by sith mm-hmm. uh, actually leads directly into what i was going to talk about next which is we find out that the pods and the station were actually created by the Sith to conquer. And the statues they put up were of the different races that they successively conquered. And what happened was they were trying to conquer this new planet that the Drengir were on, but the Drengir actually defeated the Sith there and pushed them back onto their station. And the Sith that created the Maxine station were forced to imbue the statues to uh, to cre- to use the statues to actually f- stop the Drengir from I guess being like physically active Sentient? and put them into yeah. into a stasis is what it did. Yeah, so then they're just plants. After yeah, that. so yeah. they couldn't move or, or think or anything. So it just looked like any other plant. But I was surprised that the Drengir actually defeated the Sith and forced them to abandon the station. Yeah, I liked that actually. I, I was I thought I thought it was kind of cool, and also alludes to the fact that this was during a time where there was many many Sith, and a lot of them could have been very much incompetent and, and maybe way less skilled than the rule of two Sith that we're used to. Yeah, because uh, it would so, been uh, excuse me, old Republic times. Yeah, yeah, thousands of years ago, kind of thing, right? So. I did like that, um, and yeah, it also explained cool. why. It also explained why the statues were emanating dark, dark uh, essence, right? The force, because because it's something that the Sith had set up as a safeguard. Yeah. That being said, the Drengir themselves are very heavily uh, influenced by the dark side, and in the Jedi can sense the dark side coming from them. Yeah. And uh, yeah. when we meet Dez again, back on. Uh, the, whatever planet yeah they never named the planet but the planet that the Drengir are on uh, we find out that he has been actually essentially enslaved and interrogated yeah kind of mentally possessed a bit by yeah toxic poisons from and, the Drengir and, and, and dark side energy which you find out at the yeah. end which the Drengir yeah. have been doing to him. They've been interrogating him, trying to figure out how to get back to the station so that they can. Yeah. And well, and to skip forward a little bit, I mean, part of 
him taking the brash vow is also because he feels as if in that process, his connection to the force had been severed a little bit. No, they, uh, he said and, that it was severed. They, they, the Drengir yeah. severed his connection to the force and he needs to rebuild it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was pretty crazy. I was like, wow, that's, yeah. That's so these plants next are level stuff. These plants are pretty strong. <laughs> now this alludes to my theory. Luke Skywalker. Uh, no, <laughs> can you cut off from the uh, force? It, 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 it kind of. Um, I I think back to that trailer that multiple times we've had discussions as to in the trailer for the High Republic they said uh, something as far as one of the challenges the Jedi need to overcome is for the allegiance of the Force itself. So this now might be a reference to going back to that trailer where uh, I think Bryce and you and I were all trying to speculate on that last line in the trailer for the high Republic books going like, what does that mean? Like the allegiance to the force itself. And it's possible that these Dren gear now have the, you know, if, if they really truly have the ability to sever a Jedi's connection to the force, uh, then, uh, you know, maybe that's, um, something that will be a, an, a oh, threat going forward. Yeah. Right. Maybe they'll do it to yeah. these plants and then they'll all die. I mean, maybe these plants are, I mean, these plants have the ability to do that to the Jedi. So, I mean, they've got the Nile on one side, but, uh, but on the other side, it's like, okay, they got these crazy plant things, but, but it's like, if they can take our powers away, so to speak, like, or, or at least affect, yeah, at least affect our connection to the force, then, then, uh, I mean, that's a even greater danger because, uh, then the galaxy has no heroes anymore. <laughs> so. No, too true. So yeah, let's uh, let's keep walking through this the store. There's a little tiny bit left to go through now. Yeah, well, Wreath manages to save Dez. Um, what's funny is they're actually forced into a duel. So the the Drenger, uh, they have enough influence over Dez that they actually force him to act to duel Wreath. Uh, but Wreath is able to defeat him and he disarms him. And at that point, it's more or less accepted that Wreath has won. So he's kind of won the allegiance or the life of Dez. So they quickly get back onto their, their pod and get back to the Ma- Maxine station. But um, unfortunately, right as Wreath's plan is uh, brought into fruition, he finds out that the Drenger are, are, have prepared a second uh capsule or a ship and they're heading straight back to meet them at maxi station Mm -hmm. yeah uh so meanwhile on the station uh there's there's two stories going on here there's there's um uh sorry i'm blanking on her name now um or uh i know oh man i didn't i didn't write down her name uh, <laughs> Affy, ah. Affy, sorry, sorry. She was the one, the one character I didn't write her name down. Um, Affy, uh, Affy Hollow. So Affy, um, Affy has her whole this whole side story, which I brought up earlier, uh, where the first time they're on the station, she finds out that the Bind Guild that she works for, and specifically her adoptive mother who leads it, has been using this station for uh, quite a few years now to funnel contracted workers through and and avoid uh it's some it's some very you call them contracted workers so we find out they're actually uh like indebted indentured workers so they're essentially slaves until they work off their debt 
Right, indentured workers. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess yeah. That's 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 the accurate way of putting. It. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I don't know. I just didn't really like this part of the story. I just found it a little boring. But really, um, because well, I, yeah, I just didn't really care about the Bind Guild too much. It's, you know, that's no, fair. But I there. mean, it's showing that in the outer rim, there really are no laws. Yeah, because yeah, it, it's yeah. Even though sure. slavery is illegal in the in the Republic it's still done in the outer rim a lot. And a lot of the people who run it in the outer rim live in the core and just get mm-hmm. away with it. Yeah. And that's more yeah, or less true. What, what we, what we learn actually happened to Afi. We find out her parents, they were indentured workers to uh, her boss and soon to be stepmother. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, What's the name of the the, the woman who owns? The uh, oh, it, her name was was uh, started with an S. St- uh, anyway, There's so many characters. <laughs> <laughs> there are there are so many characters, okay. man. Well, we find out that uh, she actually sent Affy's parents to the station. Scover. Scover. That's it. <laughs> Scover. <laughs> Scover actually sent Affy's parents to the station where they died. And Affy realizes that because she actually finds the codes to her parents' ship on the station, so written on the wall, as well as some of the buying guilds' codes. And she, when she gets back to Coruscant, she hacks into Scover's information and finds out that Scover sent her parents there. So now she's she is stuck in between being the heir to the buying guild company through her, her stepmother, Scover, but her stepmother actually sent her parents to their death in the first place. So she's mm. her, her allegiance now is tied. And so with finding out that her new her stepmother and the owner of the buying guild, this person who she really idolizes, she works in the slave trade. A yeah, secret. and that that conflict, that's when I started seeing, okay, oh, this is getting a little more interesting. It's like when she finally had all the information she needed after this whole station bit was over mm-hmm. at the very end of the book, when she comes face to face with like, oh, do I turn in my stepmother and yeah. she gets arrested or or do I just, just leave just it be? Just go with and it. I'm, and yeah, and now I'm an well, accomplice kind of thing. Yeah, but she has to be well off because she has to right. choose between the moral high ground and just not saying anything and becoming really wealthy and owning yeah. this giant company. So spoiler alert, she turns her in. She, you know, yeah. gets gets arrested and and you know, and then Affy ends up getting to keep the ship. But that's skipping to the end. But now we can call that quits for, for yeah. her storyline. So line. that's her whole storyline there. I yeah. I enjoyed it, honestly. I actually thought it was pretty interesting. Just because I thought the the idea of finding out the person that you idolize and who took you in and has raised you to be under their wing as their apprentice was the person who got you in the fir- there in the first place and used to own your mm. parents as slaves. Like that's that's actually yeah. a really interesting twist to me. But yeah, um, it's it's also the Bind Guild was also uh, it, it has been a prominent part of these novels now so it showed up in light of the jedi and now this book as well yeah uh, uh, the ship that actually blew up at the beginning was part of their fleet yeah um, yeah so that's that's kind of how this these characters like 
like Leox and, and Afi have a more of a uh, more more ties to the Great Disaster than than uh, than um, I guess some of the other uh, characters uh, because because they have coworkers and stuff that have been you know killed and you know <laughs> yeah so, so they actually yeah. know people directly related yeah yeah so uh we're back uh, at the maxine station right as the drengear show up yeah yeah so that's where kovic and um orla or sorry komak and and orla are, are dealing with with that and it becomes almost like a three-way thing right like the nile show the nihil show yeah, up because they start to board as well because nan uh she she finds wreath and calls it in to the rest saying that they found the jedi on the ship or on the station so then all the nihil are, are, are boarding the station and they start attacking the jedi and then uh the Drangir, Reith actually kills the ones that follow follow him by using the force to push their pod back out of the uh, the interlocking or the the airlock. <laughs> so they get out and they just get vaporized. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> but the rest of them are still on the ship, but they're locked to the statues. So now they're stuck yeah, in this predicament because there's, <laughs> there's some already on the station from from the the. Yeah. event that happened thousands of years ago yeah. or whatever but the the sith entrapped there with the statues so it's interesting and kind of funny because now they're they've successfully stopped the drengear but now they can't leave because of the nihil yeah so they decide their only course of action is to release the drengear make them force the nihil and use that as a distraction to leave which yeah, is, so those statues that they brought all the way back to set up again at the station to, to recreate that seal to keep the Dren gear away, they have to tear that down again. Yeah, they because they yeah. got to set them loose again. Yeah, so they they actually <laughs> shoot one of the statues and destroy it, and that breaks the, I guess the force field or whatever whatever it is that keeps the the Dren gear in stasis. Yeah. So then they come to life. They have to escape the Dren gear, and as they're running away, the Nihil show up and throw a gas grenade at the Drangir, which has no effect on them, but thankfully distracts them away from the Jedi and all the Drangir go after the Nihil. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's also worth mentioning during this during this period of time, Nan and Wreath have come face-to-face again, and Nan actually has Wreath at gunpoint, but chooses to spare his life because Wreath saved her earlier on in the story. Uh, and that was actually a pretty interesting moment that I really liked a lot. Was, Especially for uh, Nihil. Yeah, for a Nihil who was literally, you know, we're, we're constantly being told by story group and stuff like these these people have no code of ethics yeah. or, or anything, right? But and, she's and a she's bit of a young. younger one. Yeah, and, she's, yeah she's, she's got to be like seven or eight years old, maybe ten. Yeah, and it makes me wonder because she was the last character to pop up in the book before the book ends. And uh, she she's... Uh, Again, this is skipping forward a little bit to the end of her story arc, and she comes face to face with Marcion Marcion Rowe, which Marcion. is the eye of the the eye of the Nile. Uh, so, so, but yeah, not and and uh, she um, might I would say pop up again later yeah, on in the story will. as a more prominent character for sure. But I think this moment where she spares Wreath could come into play later on in a future story, uh, as far as yeah. And she said she, somebody she knows she's only going to do this once. Yeah. 
yeah a lot of emphasis on uh, this is your only your only free pass kind of thing and yeah her finger was itching to shoot him but but yeah i was like man what a twisted kid like yeah it's true <laughs> so yeah it's crazy yeah basically from there they just escape and go back to the jedi temple so really them going back there changed nothing except for successfully releasing the drengear and pretty much yeah. uh Saving Dez. So that, that is one good thing. But other than that, they yeah. didn't really change anything. They did, yeah, aside from unleashing the the the, the Dren gear on the galaxy. Yeah, nothing <laughs> pretty much nothing else changed. Yeah. yeah this entire oh. story was was just to unleash the Dren gear. Yeah. They did <laughs> successfully uh shoot off all of the pods from the station though. Oh, so, Reef does it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the Dren gear, I think, are trapped on the station. There's some on the station. There's some on that planet that that yeah. um, Reef was and Des were on. But yeah, aside from that, it makes me wonder how they're going to bring those those characters into future stories. Now that they've essentially rendered the Amaxi, the usefulness of the Amaxian station useless. Yeah, right? like they well, they alluded at the very end that when they everything was revealed about the the slave trade, um, when they were talking about that, uh, they revealed that other companies and transport ships or whatever are going to start using the station for whatever reason just yeah, as a, a, yeah, a new it's going to get purchased and used as an, a new hub station or you know whatever fueling station or something, something. But what i like to the drinker is still there though so i don't know they're gonna yeah, do about that i don't, I don't know we'll <laughs> see look to we'll me see. our new home <laughs> <laughs> we want meat <laughs> that's their that's their thing you know that's what they keep saying uh what i liked about reese's character kind of how they bring his his journey to a close with the with des and kind of taking the brash vow and and all this and that with reese silas uh part of part of his story was after of course his master dies the council has this lingering question for him which uh he's got to he's got to come up with an answer for which is like what do you want to do right like yeah. where do you want to go like what do you want to do like now that your master's gone your master's dead and, you have to decide what you want uh if you want to continue your training if you're ready That's yeah allude to a new master yet but i just talked about him continuing his training right and he actually chooses to to ask Comac if if he'd be willing to to be his new master, which I thought was very interesting. Um, and and I it could wasn't, be, uh, I, I wasn't surprised by that. To me, that was very obvious. I knew it was going to be either Comac or it was going to be Orla. It had yeah. to be one of the two. What else would they possibly do? Right? Is a huge right. It's fair. It's fair. Yeah. Yeah. What's I was. A little annoyed, I guess, or disinterested, maybe is a better way to describe it, that we've had three books now and two of them are Jedi Padawans who lose their master and then by the end of the book have a master that was there during the adventure. Mm. All right. All right. Let's let's uh, let's get into some fun facts through the book here. All right. So let's uh, start with the prologue, which I'll just kind of read and, and I kind of made a little note about it. So this is what it says. His strength of the force isn't remarkable. Not among the Jedi, she thought as she studied her young human apprentice. The wind blew his dark brown hair into even more of a nest than usual. But Wreath works harder than most, almost any Padawan I've ever known. He tuned into my thoughts, not through his natural gifts, but through effort of will. And he did it faster than the naturally gifted ever manage. He'll go farther than many of them, perhaps in ways he doesn't yet understand. 
And I really like this because this kind of alludes to the entire conversation and controversy around midichlorians. And yeah, and uh, yeah, and, and, and uh, there was something I really liked about how uh, there was something in the Rise of Kylo Ren comic that that Luke Skywalker says to his Padawans and um, in a way that's very Jedi like and and uh, it, it was kind of like, oh, well, he's got many he's got more midichlorians than I do. Like he's more gifted and stuff. So that's why he's better and stuff. And Luke basically <laughs> describes it as like, no, like doesn't matter how many like what you're counted, like how naturally gifted you are, it, your the connection to the force. Yes, it's naturally stronger, but it just means that the door is open a little wider for them. It doesn't mean that your door is permanently only open so far like yeah it's just pure sheer will and and persistence for that connection through the force that allows you to gain the same level of power and connection to that force that any other jedi would have i I think that's similar to any other skill right like not everyone is natural artist but anyone can learn to do art yeah i mean yeah exactly and and i mean some people just don't have the ability to to do it like you can you can learn their mind to it they could that's the thing yeah yeah and and i mean it's funny though that that like within the canon they've still maintained the fact that some people who don't have the same count of midichlorians as an actual jedi still won't be able to use the force like physically but Mm. it doesn't it doesn't mean that they can't sense that it's there right like it's like uh and i love what rogue one did with the guardians of the wills because it kind of gives you that idea of like oh these are normal people but they have such a strong connection to the force in a way that they've unlocked their mind to it. Mm-hmm. And, and with uh, Chirrut Inwe, he's a blind dude, but, and he's no Jedi by any means, but he's able to still use the force in a way, right? Like the force still yeah. gives him these. And he these, trusts in it. Yeah, he trusts the force and, and it rewards him for that, right? And, and so, so that's what I've always liked about, even though, yes, midichlorians are a thing, they're not there to kind of be a hindrance on on anything like they're there just to yeah. to explain I some want, things i want to see a jedi a star wars story about a jedi with a metachlorian count of zero <laughs> <laughs> no force power only that's, lightsaber skills <laughs> that's right <laughs> just has all robotic limbs because he's cut them off just practicing yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, so another little thing that popped up at the very beginning of this book, because of course this story takes place weeks before Starlight Beacon launches and like all the other books ends off with Starlight Beacon launching. Yeah. Um, that's, the, the that's very, probably the thing that annoyed me the most is now we've done this same scene three times. And I'm kind of like, oh, get on with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what was cool is at the very beginning when Wreath is still in the temple, he actually bypasses two friends of his, uh, Wreath Silas and and um, Emery uh, Cantaros, which which uh, are two characters that we read their story in A Test of Courage, which is the last book that we read. So they were some main characters in there. So I'm assuming that this book at the very beginning is before that Test of Courage novel. And then A Test of Courage picks up after they show up in this book as a cameo. But I like that that was a thing. Like they just more interwoven like these these stories together. I guess which Jedi Master showed up again? Uh, who? Uh, which one was Skier! that? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, of course. Yeah, Skier, Skier showed up. Uh, yeah. Vernestra, Vern uh, from the last book That's also right, showed up. Yeah, uh, yeah, and. Um, uh, there was another thing here from chapter one. Orla. 
Sorry, mm. what? I think they alluded to the Jedi who gets knighted as well from the first novel. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I've told I'm blanking on her name, but but it's there was a bunch of cameos in this book. I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, something from chapter one. I mean, we kind of already touched up on it, but yeah, Orla had recently declared herself a way seeker, a Jedi who would operate independently of the dictates of the Jedi council. So there was a bit of a more literal mm-hmm. descriptor there for what that is. Um, something from chapter two in olden days, the braid had been mandatory, at least not, uh, at least, uh, among apprentices from species that grew hair on their heads. These days, not every master required them. And this I yeah, found was, was very interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the <laughs> <Jinx>. prequels, <laughs> in the prequels and in the Clone Wars, every apprentice has a braid, right? Yeah. Even the ones that don't have hair are supposed to tie in a braid. Yeah. Like Ahsoka has a little bead string exactly. that she has, right? Even though she doesn't have hair, but you tie it in. Yeah. So I thought that this was a really bold sentence to make a claim to that the Jedi didn't, some, depending on your master, I guess, didn't require them. I guess that just now determines all what we've seen so far. Every single master has required it yeah. for their apprentice. But well, what's funny is I think it actually plays into what Palpatine says. He alludes to the Jedi becoming very dogmatic. Yeah. Yeah. And this this is a good prime example, I think, even in a lighthearted way, because it shows that they knew like this was something that you could show maybe to advertise, I guess, that you're a Padawan, but it isn't really necessary. Mm-hmm. And by the time we get to the prequels, it seems like something that they've just made standardized and mandatory for everyone for no particular reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no idea. I mean, now that they've kind of introduced this little tidbit of canon, it's like, oh, okay. So maybe going forward, there's going to be a more harder time determining who's a Padawan and who's a knight if they have a braid or not. <laughs> you know, like, right. I'm just like, why Why even bother like having that as a thing? Because Wreath Silas has a, a braid, right? He had one, yeah. So like, I just didn't I don't know get who why. doesn't. Yeah, I didn't really know why we had to kind of get into... Uh, I think it was just to show a difference in the era. Yeah, maybe, yeah. So there was another thing from Chapter 4, uh, and I quote, That's a Maxine technology. A Maxine? Affie wrinkled her nose. Who are they? Wreath loved nothing more than a chance to explain. They were ancient warriors from really long ago, even before the Republic. Their fierceness in battle was supposedly unmatched. These are all but legends of how their scouts would appear, uh, or they're all these legends of how their scouts would appear almost out of thin air, signaling the troops to sweep in for attack. So this just alludes more to how the Maxine station was built to like just have those pods go boom and they're on a planet and all of a sudden the troops are there. Like, yeah, they just and, all show up all at once. Yeah, so I really like that whole a Maxine civilization that they that they brought in. And something I really liked mm-hmm. about the Jedi Fallen Order video game was that they introduced uh, uh, a really cool ancient civilization in that game as well, which they further explored as as the game kind of went on. And I really like that. Uh, felt very uh, um, very Tomb Raider-y, kind of like right. just very archaeologist style, you know? That's pretty cool. And that's actually the thing I really liked about the ancient Sith race as well from Korriban. Yeah. Because we find out they were an ancient race who actually founded this the Sith 
as a, I guess you call it like a, a religion or like mm-hmm. what we understand to be the Sith as opposed to the Jedi. Yeah, it's a yeah, and it's it's a force religion like many of the ones in the galaxy, right? Like like the Jedi, the Night Sisters, the the Guardians of the Wills, the uh, the uh, uh, the the Church of the Force, right? With the one that Lor Santeca is part of. <laughs> Like there's so many. There's that so one many. has the worst name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, the Sith are just kind of like to to people who are not a Force user. It, they're all these crazy religious like weirdos yeah. running around like on crusades and you Bendu. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Which is really funny because you know we don't perceive it that way as as viewers and and readers of Jedi, but people in that galaxy like that's how they look at the characters. They're like. Oh, it's just some crazy, oh. crazy monk with a sword. Yeah. And, yeah, that's what they're described as at the beginning. Is they're just these religious monks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, something in chapter eight, Comac nodded. Throughout the galaxy, there have been legends of objects imbued with the dark side, of amulets and crystals, and even glaciers that contain as much malevolence as any living creature. Some said that the most powerful Sith of old were able to do that, to infuse their own darkness into objects around them. And uh, that little piece kind of reminded me of um, like Voldemort and Horcruxes a lot, you know? Yeah, it is actually similar. And um, Darth Mo- or Lord Momin's mask, which was a object that popped up in a dark Lord of the Sith comics, was was a... Mm-hmm. Also a good example of an object uh, or even a holocron, just like an object yeah. that emanates with that side, the allegiance of the force. There's been a lot of stuff, actually, just different Sith artifacts that individual Sith have created to make themselves more powerful. Yeah. Most of them are probably EU now, but I know there's been different swords and lightsabers and all sorts of stuff, too. Right. Yeah, I'm, I really like all that stuff. Like I like how they bring in physical objects as being like a... You know, mm-hmm. like this emanates with a virgence of this allegiance of the force and it benefits yeah. to that faction because and, you know, there's a reason, right? Like, I really like all that, 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 that weird kind of force stuff. This does like, feel a little video gamey. You know, you put on this mask and you get plus two to force use. <laughs> I don't think it works exactly like that. <laughs> That's kind of but, what I was described. But, but I know what you're talking about. Like there's there's the like on Mortis, there was the um, the dagger, the the, uh, the dagger of Mortis or whatever. Right. And, Which and is the only way to kill the, the sun. Right. Yeah. The yeah. dark side. Of well, the you force can kill there. any of them. But the yeah, yeah. trifecta family. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of like the. The, the the what's the, the the silver arrow or the silver needle or whatever to you know whatever the expression is to to kill those three figureheads of the force because their lightsabers couldn't kill them uh yeah. so yeah but i like things like that like all these crazy force artifacts and and very again very like archaeologic yeah. style you know yeah that's the part i think is pretty cool just similar to how we we have our own religious artifacts here for christianity specifically you know like the mm-hmm. ark of the covenant or holy grail it's kind of like that but yeah. Sith. There's probably Jedi ones too, I would think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I think there, I think there is, there's, um, uh, I can't, I mean, none, none really, actually none really come to mind too much other than Kyber crystals themselves are, are some of them have been known to be Jedi mm-hmm. artifacts that kind of emanate the force, but yeah. Uh, here's, here's another one. I keep thinking about it, replaying it over and over in my head, trying to think of a different way it could have ended. 
Uh, and that's something that that Wreath said. He really struggles with taking the arm of the the pirate or the looter that was attacking Nan. And he's really worked yeah. up about this because he's such an indoorsy kind of guy and not an adventure seeker or anything like that. This is the first time that he's ever probably harmed a human being the way he has yeah. with his lightsaber. And that's what I really, something I liked about his character. Yeah. Yeah. I know that bothered him quite a lot because he kept thinking that a Jedi is supposed to only be defensive, not offensive. Yeah. And he felt that he did wrong because he he didn't wait for the other guy to attack him first. He warned him several times and then just lopped off his arm. Yeah. The guy didn't actually try to shoot him or anything, but he, he did also have, I believe a gun to Nan, if I'm remembering correctly, or a blaster to Nan. Yeah. It was something like that. So he had a hostage, but he wasn't actually about to attack wreath. So he felt guilty about that. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, does talk to to uh, Comac about it later, though. Comac says that he did the right thing, that he warned him several times, like any Jedi would have done the same thing. So then he feels a little more at peace about it. Here's something from uh, from chapter 12. There are artifacts that contain certain memories or even personalities of past Force users. There are artifacts that enhance a Jedi's ability to use the Force. And then there are artifacts that hinder or confound that ability. Force dampeners, you could call them. And that's in reference to these statue things. But I, I actually thought that was kind of interesting that that some of these oh. artifacts actually possess these properties if they're imbued with that through the force from a mm-hmm. force user. Um, and and, I, and we're kind of bordering on the level of uh, magic in a way. You know, through yeah. the force, because I mean, the the Night Sisters do all these crazy things with the force using their magics, uh, yeah, and they, they imbue Darth Maul, right? And they also yeah. imbue, um, yeah, Savage Press. Yeah, that's and how they, it gets all ripped. Yeah, and they do things like that. Like they have all these artifacts, like the Night Sisters. They got that living water stuff, and and all that the crazy, crazy things. And so this kind of just again just was another one of those things. Like oh wow, like yeah, that side of the that that physical part of the Force that can manipulate objects is is a thing that even the Jedi can use at times, and uh, it's just not really common, I guess. Yeah, it was funny though. It was as you read through that actually that made me realize how. Um, the statues worked against the Drangir. So yeah. they must have actually dampened the dark side so that the Drangir weren't able to function. So if the, the plants themselves must be possessed by the dark side. Yeah. Because yeah. by putting up the statues that eliminated the, the, the dark side to actually affect the plants, put them into stasis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like the dark side holds them together and gives them a... A, a sentient, mm-hmm. you know, personality kind of thing. Brings them to life. Yeah, brings them to life. Yeah, yeah. So that makes me wonder, though, if these must have been created by like an ancient, ancient Sith, not the ones that lost the fight, but maybe another Sith or a different. Yeah, sort of dark, some some dark experiment gone wrong kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Totally. Bring me to life. You know that song? No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chapter chapter 12, there's a sentence that says, Wreath began, 
these artifacts show up in legends more often than real life. And uh, Orla interjected, we're not ignoring legends. And and that came up like two or, or three or four times through the book where, where they talked about how there's legends about things. And again, and I, I, all I could think about was like Star Wars Legends, just just like our conversation we had a week ago with with uh, with canon and legends and all that stuff. And uh, I'm like, yeah, like, you know, Legends does not go uh, does not go ignored uh, when writing these books. And, and uh, you know, they they come up and uh, they decide to canonize these things. And, and it just kind of reaffirmed uh something that Dave had brought up a little while ago, something that they put in the Ahsoka book, I think like that. And it was a very similar sentence where, where uh, they said uh, something along those lines that sometimes things that are legends are still more, more true than, than, uh, yeah. you know, than there's always than a bit of think. truth in a legend. Right. That's the one. Yeah. That's the, that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. 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 There's always a bit of truth in, in legends. Yeah. So, uh, and I mean, it is true. And that's the thing actually I really like uh, is uh, Dave also described that as we mentioned with like the, the original Clone Wars cartoon series, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're legends. This goes for all the books, but they must have happened in some way. Just maybe not the way we were told. I just thought that was a cool way to make them not canon, but still let people kind of hold on to that, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. They didn't have the they weren't cruel enough thankfully to just completely eradicate it right <laughs> um there was uh there's another there's something from chapter 14 why should it be a virtue to hide your feelings to pretend they don't exist and uh really summarizes pretty well uh uh how the Jedi look at their feelings, uh, especially by the time of the prequels where their feelings are almost like, you know, to feel, to feel anything other than just, you know, just coasting yeah. kind of like a non-emotional East. status. Yeah. Other than to feel uh, like to, to not feel emotion at all. Yeah, like it's, that's, it's considered a higher up elevation yeah. to be in that position of like, Oh yeah, I don't feel love. I don't feel any of these things. Like we just, we just well, kind of exist. Funny- is that basically is describing Sherlock Holmes, where he ignores all of his emotions or has no emotions, depending on the version, to the point where he just deals in absolute logic, mm-hmm. which allows you to think through situations very clearly, but then you often miss most uh, the most important part by lacking the empathy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, the Jedi are very much like that, you know, they, they try to ignore their feelings as much as possible and it's considered a virtue to do so. So, um, yeah. Chapter 14, again, uh, few people knew that the Jedi temple had been built atop a Sith shrine. So uh, we brought that up earlier, but it would, it would have been interesting if the Clone Wars had had the chance to go there. Uh, something else from chapter 14. He was nothing but his pulse and breath and the horrible knowledge that Master Jorah was gone. Oh, we already touched up on that. So yeah, again, Master Master Jorah, uh, just... Uh, Reed's former master. Yeah, yeah. Reed's former master, just having a having a moment, you know, dying there. Um, and, <laughs> and then uh, we have something from chapter 16. So when we removed the statues, we didn't remove the darkness or the finish. We set it free. So, yeah, the Jedi are responsible now for the unleashing the Dren gear 
which is these dark side entity plants to now wreak havoc yeah on the rest of the galaxy and to me the biggest lingering question is how they're going to actually get the plants anywhere because they're trapped <laughs> right yeah yeah exactly now that they've yeah. done what they did with the station take over a nihil ship or something yeah i wonder if they win out in that battle that's going on now on that station yeah. between the nihil and the drengear and yeah because well i don't know it's tough because we have learned through des that they can influence the mind of other sentient creatures through like their venom and I guess the dark side of the force to get them to do uh, their bidding. But in regards to the Nihil specifically, we find out that Nan successfully escaped. So I assume she would have got away on the ship she came in on. Mm -hmm. So I guess it would have been a second one there, wouldn't there? There's a capital ship and hers. So maybe maybe that's what they took yeah, over. I don't know. There's more than one opportunity there. Yeah, the flood have escaped. <laughs> They've been unleashed. Uh, only other Jedi carried lightsabers. Jedi did not fight each other in the field or anywhere else. For that matter, ergo, dueling was effectively useless, except as exercise. And this is when... Uh, when uh, when Dez and and uh, it comes Reith. and Reith have, have to yeah they have a duel because the the Drieger has has uh, kind of possessed Dez for a little bit and and stuff but it was interesting because I was like oh yeah I guess for like almost a thousand years now there hasn't been any Sith to fight so the Jedi have just yeah. been been practicing lightsabers for a, you know a ceremonial kind of well self defense thing but yeah. but never light to the saber to lightsaber combat for for practicality so, right it's funny because it sounds like it's almost come to the point of what fencing is now right yeah so for a long time people would duel rapiers for survival and actual like fighting combat tactics but now it's almost more of a sport and it hasn't you even know, been a thousand years it hasn't even no. been a thousand years yet. no it's been like a hundred years 150 years yeah. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, yeah. 800 years, because this is 200 years before Phantom Menace and there's a thousand years between the, the wars of old and, you know, and, and the, the prequels. prequels. But yeah, so this has been a long time. And, and in that time, there hasn't been any lightsaber folk to fight. So yeah. I wonder if they're going to make uh, Fibrosaurs able to fight against lightsabers cannon, because I don't think we know if that works yet. We know that Beskar can stop a lightsaber, but I don't. And, and electric think we weapons, electric electro. Right. Sorry, electro weapons can can stop lightsabers, but I don't think vibro blades do because we've seen those now in the Mandalorian, and they're just blades that mm -hmm. vibrate. Yeah, they're not electrified. So well, how it works in the old EU is they because uh, a lightsaber has a magnetic field around it. That's what keeps the plasma from escaping. And yeah, I guess the way that like this the sound wave. Because the old Viper blades worked where they vibrated, but it wasn't the steel that cut like a like an electric bread knife. It was actually it created a vibration of sound, and the sound would cut stuff. So because it was sound, it was able to stop the lightsaber. Oh yeah, yeah. I wonder. I wonder if they'll ever touch up on that now that we're going up yeah. against something like the Nihil. What's and funny is that people <laughs> fandom have kind of. Uh, speculated that that still is canon the sound thing because when uh mando he stabs the the, the mud be the mud horn mm. he stabs it with a dagger that's only three inches long but he kills this this giant rhino 
So they're like, oh, it must be a, a proper sound vibra blade. It also wouldn't have been uh, deep enough into the animal to kill it. Yeah, question like, is whether or not it... Yeah, question is whether or not it actually can combat a lightsaber still, or if that yeah. just isn't a thing. I'd be honestly, I would not be heartbroken if that was the case. Like, because there's enough things that can combat a lightsaber now uh, that I'm like, whatever. Personal <laughs> shields. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, a staff made a Beskar, whatever, right? Like, there's so many things now. It's yeah, like at least they try to make them rare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So last uh, two two things. Um was oh actually uh oh yeah <laughs> so here this is it was when geode uh geode finally is revealed to be a sentient being <laughs> geode stood stood above him reassuringly calm and steady and wreath could feel that now a connection to a life form profoundly alien and yet as vividly alive as any being had ever and he'd ever encountered so that was that was the moment that geode is like oh finally we see geode the way that he's the yeah he's meant to be the, yeah, the rest of the vessel see him yeah yeah exactly it's not just a rock there was something that wreath struggled with throughout the whole book a riddle that jorah his master had given him before she went off her own way and eventually died and that mm-hmm. was um why can no jedi cross the kyber arc alone which is like a thing in the jedi temple made of kyber crystals and it's re- representative of all the jedi who've died in the past and all that stuff taken from lightsabers from the fallen jedi and uh, in tw- chapter 24, Wreath finally discovers the answer to that riddle. And um, he figures out that if he was going to save his friends, or if he could, uh, he would even at the cost of his own life. And so that's kind of the answer to why can no Jedi cross the Kyber arc alone, I guess. Yeah. Well, to me, when they said that in the book, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like as far as an answer to the riddle, like the logic is two different positions. Yeah. Uh, but he, I don't know if he expanded on it or he came to a different conclusion later. And that was that he can't cross the Kyber arc without uh, acknowledging the help of the Jedi that came before because mm-hmm. they're crystals that actually make the arc in in the first place. The arch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the support of literally the structure of the Jedi themselves that, that allow him to cross the, the Kyber the arc. Archway. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's the sacrifice of all those Jedi that came before that. Yeah. Allow him to make that walk across this archway. And so, yeah, he doesn't make the walk alone because he's always standing on top of the ground that others have built yeah. before him. Right. So yeah, that's a, that's a perfect explanation for sure. Yeah. Um, nice job with that one. So, yeah, that's pretty much all I got as far as notes goes and all the things that we noticed, all the Easter eggs, the story, the characters, pretty much everything right there. Uh, yeah, you now have all the detail that you could possibly need to write your book report on this novel. Yeah. If for <laughs> Any some, listeners out there? <laughs> if for some reason your English teacher has chosen this this book oh, as a my, class study. <laughs> well, when, I, when I was a... Uh, doing book reports we got to pick our own books oh man you're lucky you're lucky I, okay yeah I, I, the last time i got to pick my own book to do a book report was probably like you know 2000 i, I mean well I, I i'm dating myself here doing that I, I was probably in grade six or grade seven 
when yeah. when I got to choose my own novel to do like nope, my own. I got book to through study. middle and high school, yeah. and I kid you not, I wrote a book report on all six Star Wars movies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making that. I just watched the movie and wrote about it. And like, yeah, there's a book. What am I gonna do? And so, so everything you say, you you do you uh, you quoted, you just quoted the novelization, but you actually just ignored the novelization, and watched the movie instead. Yeah, that's right. That's awesome. But I didn't actually quote the novel because I didn't ever bother looking at it. Yeah, I yeah. just quoted the movie. That's such a uh, that's such a uh, a weak spot, you know. Being a for an English teacher, if there's a a movie that's based on the book you're reading, mm-hmm. your students will get at least like sixty five percent on uh, as From to the like movie. the as to the inter- information. Yeah, if they just yeah. watch the film, right? Well, they they so. do it too. When we did Romeo and Juliet, we also just watched the Romeo and Juliet movie with Leonardo DiCaprio in english yeah. so well we did that too we did that too but it was just like they we still we still read it and it was yeah. you know romeo and juliet so okay. so on 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 a star wars thing here though what do you think of the next star wars celebration you myself and any of the rest of the the cast go as the same species as geode in costume <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that would be the best. Actually, in Just fact, a bunch of rocks. <laughs> in, in fact, uh, actually, if we're all very quiet for a sec, we actually have Geode here as a special guest on the show. Oh wow! I know. Okay, let's just okay, welcome to the show, Geode. He's happy to see us all. I can He's tell. happy. Yeah, there, there he is, everybody. There yeah. he is. <laughs> so many what moments like that in the book, man. <laughs> It was nice of him to drop in. Oh, see you, Geode. Yeah. See you, Geode. There he goes. <laughs> Actually, one uh, conversation I thought was really funny is, uh, well, there's a conversation that has popped up twice, I think, between Affy and, uh, and Leox, because they start talking about sex. Oh and yeah. They refer to how geode reproduces. <laughs> <laughs> like crystallizes or something. Right. Yeah. I thought that was that was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, it was really out of place for a Star Wars book. Yeah. But I'm like, they have to describe everything about this character now. <laughs> Even Geode hasn't crystallized for over three months. <laughs> 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 oh man something like that all right well uh that's pretty much all we got uh, is there any any last things that we missed or anything you can think of hmm. no? we haven't rated it out of how many oh yeah pablo how many Zongos. how many pablo points is it how many pablo points right pablo points all right <laughs> we, we question how it's pronounced every time yeah 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 <laughs> it's a pablo point yeah it's pablo points all right how many pablo it, points it, it are we gonna today. give Hmm. How many Pablo points? I mean, I honestly like out of out of five or ten. Out of five, out of five. I, honestly, okay. I got to give it between a three and a four, something yeah, around there. I'm gonna say four. I was kind of thinking the same thing. I got to yeah. take points off because massively wasted opportunity, not having the Dranger as a horror kind of vibe throughout the, the station. Yeah, massive waste. That would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. Um. The backstory thing to me, or the the side stories interludes, were confusing, and there might be a, an issue specifically with the audiobook, but to me it was very out of place. But there were really cool things that happened too. I thought the station itself was awesome. 
I thought the majority of the characters were great. They're very well thought out. Mm-hmm. And I liked how it kind of interwove with the other novels all around uh, different parts of the galaxy with this giant disaster, which I thought was super cool. Yeah, honestly, you said it. Um, I'd probably, yeah, I'd probably give it like a three star, honestly. Or, and, and I think the, the, the only reason why I'm not giving it any, any higher is because I was just really disappointed with the, the villain of like the Drengear. And, and up until this book, uh, I, I'm not, I think I'm a, an issue or two behind on the Marvel series where they now have uh, introduced the, the Drengear in that, in that series. But I was not aware of the fact that they would be talking. And so mm-hmm. I went into this expecting exactly how you described it, like this terrifying, vicious, monstrous species that yeah, just... that would have been better. That would have been way been. better, yeah. And and so the one thing that kind of dampened it down for me was it just... Anyth- anytime they said anything, because I wasn't listening to the audiobook, I was reading it, the text and their lines just felt very cheesy to me. And I was yeah, like... Yeah, it was cheesy. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. So if it came across that way listening to it as well, then, then yeah. So I was like, eh, I don't know. It's just... I went into it, I think, with higher expectations, especially because I have a lot of respect for Claudia Gray's books. Yeah. And uh, so you and, went in expecting Death Troopers, Alien or yeah. Death Troopers. And instead you got like Hills Have Eyes. Right. Yeah. 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 Aliens can talk and made of plants and everything. And I'm like, huh, well, that's fair. Right. So, it would have been way nicer if, if, if it was like more of like a horror book in yeah, you know. I honestly think that would have been better. But maybe yeah. it was they didn't want to go for that because of younger audiences or something. Maybe. It is a young adult book. So, I mean, this is ga- geared well, teenagers. But it, so yeah. it should have been fine. But I don't know. It, I mean, it's up to the it's up to the 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 world building and where they're going to go with the future stories yeah. and all that. So, uh, you know. I agree. Wasted opportunity yeah. on that front. Yeah, for sure. So, for if sure. you give it a three and I gave it a four, I guess that rounds it off to three and a half yeah. Pablo points. Yeah, three and a half Pablo points. Uh, it was still an enjoyable book and and uh, still uh, still really good. I mean, I you know, other than the villains, the book itself was was really well written, and I love the character of Wreath. Uh, you know, I think he's mm-hmm. easily one of my favorites now from the High Republic and. So, you know, anyone who who's curious about still reading the book and now that we've spoiled it all for you, uh, <laughs> uh, still, I mean, consider picking it up and and and, and reading it because it was still uh, it was still there's still a lot of things, obviously, that that were minor things, but still things that we're not going going into. And, and uh, so it kind of sounds like you would recommend picking up uh, the the first The Light of the Jedi over this one if you haven't read either oh yeah so as far as if you're to pick up any high republic book and only one out of all the ones that have come out it's easily the higher the light of the jedi like that's that's uh, and the del rey series in general the publish the publisher as as is like the del rey novels have always been the staple books for the right. the star wars chronology of, of of novels right of literature and then all the disney published books which has so far been the a test of courage into the dark whether it's junior or young adult or or kids or whatever anything that's not the del rey adult novels uh it's always those books have always been uh kind of sub tier in a way um it, you know they're all you know in different levels of some of them are really awesome some of them are I mean, Lost Stars being a really highly well-respected book and UTN's number one ever, that's actually a young adult book and published by the Disney publisher. So nothing against the Disney published books. It's just the staple... There can be more hit and miss. Yeah, the more pillars of the 
what the literature is based on usually relies more heavily on the Del Rey published books. And after reading all three of these novels, The Light of the Jedi really is the one that builds the High Republic. And the next big staple book will be the sequel to that that book in the Del Rey series. I hope that doesn't come out for a while. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel you. We're, we're, we're both a little burned out with reading Star Wars books uh, constantly these days. All right. Let's nice have a little break. Three yeah. books back to back has been a lot of reading. It has been. It has been for sure. All right, guys. Thanks so much again. And uh, let's hit the outro. All right. So thanks for tuning in. And uh, Blake, thank you for coming back on the show. We'll see you in the next one as well as all of you guys tuning into the show on a weekly basis. Thank you so much for, for your support. And uh, to uh, further support us, you can leave a really nice review and a five-star rating. That always helps us out, as well as shoot us any feedback, comments, whatever you got to our email, which is theescapeoutlook.com. You can follow us on Twitter at SWEscapePodcast. That's a, a more of our frequent updates. And uh, you can find us on, uh, on our Discord uh, server as well, which is linked linked at the Twitter feed. So many ways to get in touch with us. Look for those in the description below, as well as a link to World Vision where you can donate uh, some money there and uh, help some people out because uh, that money is better used uh, on that site than uh, than sending to us. So this is uh, at least, you know, as of this episode, still a nonprofit uh, podcast. And, you know, it's, it's always nice to see that money go elsewhere if you were to give it to us. So just keep that in mind. Uh, but honestly, guys, the best way to help us out is to spread those great reviews. It's word of mouth. And, uh, you know, we love seeing uh, our listener count go up. It's just really encouraging to see. So thanks again for doing that and for, you know, sharing a link to the show on Reddit or, or your your discourse that you're a part of in the Star Wars community or on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is. Uh, really helps us out as well as dropping those really lovely reviews. So Stay tuned for the next one. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, may the force be with you.